0: Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you for bringing us all together to worship you uh, through songs and, and our offerings and, and through studying your word. Um, I pray that this morning as we look at um, the book of Jude and uh, the uh, the importance of uh, knowing what we believe and the way that that should change the way that we live. Um, I just pray that as we look at this, we would really think about these truths and and. Apply them to our lives and, and uh, help it to to change us and to motivate us to live for you and to really uh, challenge us to know what we believe and to uh, be sure of these things um, and then not only that to but then to uh, examine our own hearts and see how they affect who we are and how we represent you um, i pray that as we look at your word this morning you would uh Um, Help us to understand these things. Um, Some things can be uh, hard to understand in your word, and I pray that you would uh, grant us the ability to understand it and um, uh, know what you're trying to uh, tell us through your word. Um, I just pray that you bless our time together. Uh, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Jude again today. Um, Last week... Pastor Scott um, introduced the book, and um, that's where we will be throughout the month of August. And today we're going to be in verses 5-13. through Um, There's only one chapter in Jude. So, it's a pretty short letter, and really it's shorter than a lot of the chapters of other books in the Bible. So, when we talk about what the book of Jude is about, there's really... um, one main thing that Jude is trying to communicate. There's not like there's a lot of different things that he's talking about throughout the letter. It's really about contending for the faith. And that's what Pastor Scott introduced last week. That we need to be contending for our faith. And in order to do that, we need to know what we believe. We need to know what it is that we believe and why we believe it. And those are two of the conclusions that Pastor Scott came to in his sermon last week is that the book of Jude is really about two things. And that's really what two of the main points of our our passage today is. And it's number one, that it matters what we believe. That these things that we talk about when it comes to our doctrinal statements or our confession of faith for our own personal lives and also for our church, those things matter. And then also, It matters how we live, because how we live shows others what we believe. We can claim to believe something, but if we don't live it out, do we really believe that or do we just say that we do? So those are really two of the main things that we're going to be focusing on this morning as we read through this passage in Jude. We saw last week in in verse 3 that Jude wanted to write to these people, this church that he's writing to, he wanted to write to them about their common faith, their common salvation. But as he explains, there are others who have come in, these false teachers, these opposition that have come in and started teaching things that weren't right. And they really started to pervert the gospel of Christ what Jude had apparently taught them earlier. These other people had come in and started to change things. They were practicing all sorts of sensuality and immorality and all sorts of things and they were doing it under the guise of the Gospel. They were claiming to be Gospel preachers and then practicing all kinds of sinful things. Jude could not stand for this. He had the right and Warn these people about these false teachers that had come in and urge the reader, his readers, to contend for their faith. And that what they believed mattered and they needed to care about it. And he warned them about these these false teachers. So when we think about these things, what does it matter to us? We see these false teachers in this specific church, but what do these things matter to us? Why does it matter what we believe? On the face, it might seem like a silly question. Well, of course it matters what we believe. That's how we receive salvation, by what we believe. But, do you really think about the different things you believe and why you believe them? Are you concerned about what you believe about God? Or about Jesus? Or about our salvation? There's a lot of different views out there about these different things? Do you know what you believe about them? Or especially about the Gospel. Do you know what the Gospel is? Do you know that it matters? Do you know what the essentials of the Gospel are so, if, so that if someone's adding things to it, you know how to determine that? There's other things like the end times or how we do church. Church. Now, you may not know everything about these different doctrines, and not everyone does. But, do you know what you believe? And do you care about that? Different things like how we do church compared to other churches. Why do we do them? Do you know these things? And if not, what are you doing about it? Are you trying to learn these things? Say you move to a new area. This is just a hypothetical, but say you went to a new area where you didn't know anybody, didn't know any of the churches around. How would you decide what church to go to? What would be the things that would help you make your decision? Would it be their music? Or the different programs they have? They have a really cool youth group? Or they have really fun music? There's a lot of churches that have These things, that doesn't mean they're a good church. Maybe they're growing really fast, so that means they're a good church, right? They're growing so fast, they must be doing something right. Well, not necessarily. What are the things they believe, and can you make those decisions? What is their statement of faith? Do they have one? What's missing? Can you make those decisions? These are the type of things that Jude is warning this church about. Are you comfortable enough in what you believe to know what's wrong? Because that was, is what was happening in this church. Others were coming in and teaching something that was wrong. And Jude has to write and warn them. Jude has to remind them of what they believe. So that they know what's right and wrong. And that brings us to our passage today. Read with me as I read uh, Jude verse 5 through verse 13. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the, time of, uh, until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts and... As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by the winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Are you confused yet? There is a lot in this passage. And it's very overwhelming to think about all that's going on here. But, one thing that's going to help us is to remember why Jude wrote this, why he included these things in this passage, and what is his main point. Because it's really easy to get distracted by all the little details of these examples that he gives. But we need to focus on what the main point that he's writing about, and that is for them to contend for their faith. And in this passage, he's explaining the errors of these false teachers and explaining who they are and where they are going wrong. So we're going to walk through it more slowly. And again, remember to look at why Jude would include this and what the main point is. So, let's go back through it slowly in verse 5. It says, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe so this is our first example and Jude starts by saying now I want to remind you so here's he's starting a new section he gave his introduction and kind of gave the reason why he's writing and that was these others that have come in and started to change things and started teaching wrong things and now he needs to remind them of some things before he goes any further This is a good lesson for us to be reminded of the things we believe. Jude needed to remind this church. And he says, you you already once knew this, this thing that I'm reminding you of. That's because Jude had taught them before. Or he knew what they had been taught. He knew that they knew these things. He's just reminding them. And for us today, reminders are needed so that we can be reminded of the power of the Gospel in our lives. We can be reminded that we're sinners that need a Savior. We need to be reminded of these things so that we don't go astray. So that we don't add things to our beliefs that shouldn't be there. Now, what's this first thing that he reminds them? He says, Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, it's interesting that he includes Jesus here. Because, had Jesus come yet when the Israelites were saved out of Egypt? No. At least not in the form of Jesus. But Jude refers to Him here as Jesus. And there's some debate among different scholars and theologians whether or not this is supposed to say the Lord and it just got changed over time to Jesus. And many people do believe that. But, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Because... In 1 Corinthians, Paul saw that Christ, the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, was present with Israel in the wilderness. And so it's completely possible that Jude saw that Jesus was present as well in the deliverance of Egypt or of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, one theologian named Fossum, he supports the view that Jude referred to Jesus Christ, arguing. that Jude understood Jesus to be the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. I also believe that in the Old Testament when you see the angel of the Lord, that's referring to the second member of the Trinity. That's God the Son. He was not referred to as Jesus yet because He hadn't come as Jesus yet. But the second member of the Trinity has existed forever. And we see they're called Christophanes in the Old Testament. And we see Him show up and it's usually, uh, he's named as the angel of the Lord. We see this in multiple areas across the Old Testament. So, one of the confusing things about this passage is that he refers to Jesus in the Israelites. But it's very plausible that it was God the Son that delivered Egypt or Israel out of Egypt. And we see he's reminding them that Israel was delivered or saved out of Egypt through the Exodus. We see that in Exodus 6, chapter 6 through 14. But he says, after liberating them from their bondage in, in Egypt, that the Lord destroyed those who, who did not believe. Now, this is another curious thing because where do we see in their wandering through the wilderness that God destroyed those who did not believe? Now, there's different instances that happen where. God punishes the, the Israelites for their disbelief in different times. And some people died. But He is destroying all of those who don't believe. What Judah is referring to here is later on in Numbers 14, where they get to the promised land where they were headed. And Moses sent out spies. And all but two of them come back and say, we can't do it. We can't do this. We might as well turn around and go back because these people are too great. They're like giants compared to us. We can't take this land. And all the people believed them. And Israel's punishment for not believing God was that that generation would not see the Promised Land. And they wandered in the desert for 40 years after that because they didn't believe God. Israel's punishment for not believing God was that they were destroyed. In the desert, that generation. So, the main point here is clear that Jude is making in this verse that no person in the believing community of God's people can presume on God's grace. And what that means is just because you, someone made an initial decision to follow Christ or to get baptized, that doesn't mean that they're saved. Someone who's saved will show through their life that they believe. You can't say you believe and then live like you don't. If you believe, you will be changed. And those people in the wilderness, the Israelites, they showed that they did not believe. And they were destroyed. Jude had to remind this church of that. The original generation of the Israelites was destroyed because they did not believe. This passage is a warning to this church. You need to care about what you believe. It matters what we believe. We need to be continually reminded of these things. Of the Gospel. Of our different theological viewpoints. So that we don't allow anything else to creep in and distort our view of God and of the Gospel. In verse 6, Jude continues, he says, the, And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So again, this is another instance where it's like, Jude, what are you talking about? Well, as you study this out, almost everybody agrees that what Jude is talking about is the angels who sinned in Genesis chapter six, verses one through four, they were uh, <coughs> called the sons of God, and the, uh, this is a story that uh, was passed down through Jewish tradition. And there is some debate on what that verse is talking about, but most agree that the sin the angels committed there was sexual intercourse with the daughters of men. That these angels had taken on the the bodies of men and had procreated with human women. And what they did was they abandoned what God had given them to do. They disobeyed God. They were angels that abandoned what was right for them and did their own thing. And what seems to be Jude's point here is that abandoning what is right has consequences. These angels who disobeyed, they are experiencing punishment even now. And they are bound with everlasting chains. Their current imprisonment is not their final punishment though. They are being preserved for the day of judgment. That's what this verse is saying. That they are in eternal chains and gloomy darkness until the judgment great day. Even though they're in chains now, there is more coming for them. And Jude's point here is that those who transgress and sin will experience judgment. That there's consequences for disobeying. Disobeying God. The angels did not escape their consequences when they violated what God had for them. And neither will these opponents. Remember, that's Jude's point here, is He's talking about these people who had come in, these false teachers, and were changing things. Changing the things that he had taught them. So not only in verse 5 do we see that it matters what we believe as the Israelites were destroyed for not believing the right thing, but it also matters what we do as these angels are punished for their sin. And so will those who don't believe. Let's keep going in verse 7. It says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So we see just as. Meaning, he's comparing this to the angels. That's how we kind of get an idea of what he's talking about when the angels disobeyed. Because likewise, likewise to Sodom and Gomorrah, they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. That's what these angels did, and that's why they were punished. Sodom and Gomorrah was punished by being burned up. We see that in Genesis chapter 19. Sexual sin was not the only sin that Sodom and Gomorrah was punished for, but they, Ezekiel says they were also punished for their pride and lack of concern for the poor. The reason Jude introduced this example of Sodom and Gomorrah was the punishment they received. This punishment is an example of what God will do to these opponents in the future. Jude said that they will endure the eternal fire. This fire functions functions as an example because it's an anticipation of what is to come for those who don't believe in the Gospel and who are not transformed by the Gospel. So Jude gives three three examples here. And the point is that there will be consequences for what we believe and how we live. We need only to look back at the punishment of the sinners in the past. Now, we can get a little confused by seeing these different stories pop up so fast, but remember, the point he's making is, guys, it matters what you believe. You can't just let these False teachers come in and change things and tell you things that are different from what God says in, the, in, his, in His Word. And Later on in these verses, we'll get into how Jude knew that they were false teachers. And it was because of the way they acted. And that's why he's using these examples of the angels and Sodom and Gomorrah. saying, don't think that they can pursue sexual immorality and go after their natural desires And there won't be any consequences for it. What we do matters. And what we believe matters. That brings us to uh, verse 8 here. It says, Yet in like manner, these people also, these people meaning the false teachers he's talking about, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh. They reject authority and they blaspheme the glorious ones. So here again, he's comparing these examples he's given to what these... People that, that had come into their church are doing. They're doing the same sorts of things that these Old Testament examples were doing. Jude's really ex- starts now to ex- explain who these people are and what they're doing. The three sins he lists are defiling their flesh, which is another term for sexual sin, they're denying the leadership of God, or the lordship of God. And they're blaspheming, glorious angels. Jude calls them dreamers. They're relying on their dreams. They're not relying on the Word of God. They're claiming that they've had these dreams from God, and they're using that to justify their actions. This is why it's so important that we believe that God's Word is our authority. Because when other people... Have these different ideas that are not founded on God's Word, it can lead to all kinds of crazy things. This happens today, too. This isn't just uh, an example from way back in these days. You see it all the time. Famous authors come out with these books that they've written that they saw, they had these visions from Jesus who spoke to them and told them these things. And so they wrote it in a book. And it sounds great and it's nice and it makes you feel good. But it's not what God's Word says. Can you determine what's right and what's wrong? What God's Word says versus what somebody else says. That's what these people were doing. They were coming in to this church saying, I have a dream that God gave me. And this is what we should believe. This is what we should be able to do. And Jude says they were supporting their actions. They were defiling the flesh and rejecting God's authority and blaspheming the glorious ones because of their dreams. So they're denying the lordship of God and Christ by the way that they live. We see the first two, that they're defiling their flesh and rejecting God's authority. Those are pretty easy to understand. But the third one, that they're blaspheming the glorious ones. That's a little difficult to understand exactly what they were doing. Jude's audience probably knows what he's talking about. But for us, it's a little more difficult because we don't exactly know what these people were teaching. Our next verse will give us some help on what what was going on here because he uses another example to compare to these people and and uses, uses it to um, really... Validate what he's saying. So let's read verse 9. It says, But when the, when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now this is a difficult verse. So right at the outset, we should remember what our main point is. And here, he is explaining what he means by that that these opponents are blaspheming the glorious ones. So these opponents insulted the glorious angels, but Michael was so humble that he did not presume to judge Satan, but asked the Lord to rebuke him. So again, don't get too distracted by these details. Remember the point. First of all, we see that Michael is the archangel. We see him a few different times throughout Scripture. In Daniel, he is called a prince or the great prince. We see again in Revelation, we see Michael leading the battle against the dragon and the evil angels or the demons. So really, Michael is kind of the head angel. He is God's number one angel. And you see that... uh, Michael is contending with the devil and disputing about the body of Moses. Have you ever had uh, an instance where somebody's talking with you about something and you really feel like you should know what they're talking about, but you really can't think of it? Maybe someone's talking to you about plans that they've made and you're like, I don't think you ever told me this. That's kind of how we feel when we read this verse, isn't it? It's like, dude, what are you talking about? I've never read anything about Michael and Satan fighting over Moses' body. It's not there in the Old Testament. So, this story probably was passed down through either Jewish tradition or other non-biblical writings. There's no reason to doubt that this story actually happened. It just isn't in the Bible that we have. In Deuteronomy 34, we see the story of the death of Moses. It says that the Lord buried Moses, but it it says in Deuteronomy 34 that nobody knows where Moses is buried. Even to this day, nobody knows where Moses was buried. The puzzling element here is that Michael and Satan were apparently arguing over Moses' body. Again, don't get distracted by these confusing things because we don't really know where this story comes from. But, the point Jude is making is that Michael had a position of authority. He is the head angel, the archangel. Michael had every right to criticize the devil. He knew who the devil was and how wicked and evil his motives were. And whatever schemes Satan was using to try to contend for the body of Moses, Michael had every right to presume judgment upon Satan. But he didn't. It's, that's what this verse says. He he did not presume to pronounce blasphemous judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Jude's point here is that Michael knew his position. Michael knew what his responsibility was and it was not to presume judgment. That's God's job. He's using this example because apparently these false teachers didn't know their place. And they were doing things that were not their job. They were teaching things or could have been presuming judgment upon people or angels or whoever these glorious ones that he's referring to. Whatever this is referring to, these people were stepping out of their position, going beyond their responsibilities and doing things that were God's job. That's why he uses this example of Michael. That Michael knew his place. He knew what his responsibility was and he knew what God's responsibility was. And he didn't overstep his bounds. And again, we don't know where Jude got this story, but there's no reason to get confused or to doubt what he's saying here. Just focus on the main point. So that brings us to verse 10, which further helps explain what he's talking about. He says, but these people, again back to the false teachers, these people, they blaspheme all they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So again, this further explains why he brought up this example. Michael fully understood the devil's wickedness, and he did not presume to utter judgment against him. Instead, he asked the Lord to judge. But these men, as verse 10 says, these people, they blaspheme all that they don't understand. These false teachers were out of their depth. They didn't even understand what they were doing. They were blaspheming things that they didn't understand. The one thing they did understand, however, was the power of their own physical appetites. Their physical desires urged them on daily, and they acted like irrational animals. And they were driven by their instincts rather than reason. These false teachers claimed that they had knowledge of heavenly matters. But their comprehension didn't even exceed that of animals. They acted like animals with their instincts. That kind of helps us understand why Jude brought up this example of Michael and Satan. Jude again brings in three more examples from the Old Testament here in verse 11. He says, Woe to them! meaning the false teachers. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves to the sake of gain to Balaam's error. And they perished in Korah's rebellion. So again, Jude apparently likes to do things in three. He brings in three more examples to compare these false teachers to. And this is a, what's called a woe oracle. We see a bunch of them in the Old Testament in the prophecies where the writer will pronounce woe against a certain group of people, pronounce judgment that is coming to these people. And he compares these false teachers to Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Now these would have been very well known to a Jewish audience, which is probably who he's writing to. These are kind of the villains of the Old Testament. They fit the type of the evil people of the Old Testament, and that naturally Jude begins with Cain. We see that from we see Cain's story from right in the beginning in Genesis four. They said they have taken the way of Cain, and Cain was naturally chosen because he's an example of someone who chose wickedness over goodness. If you remember the story, Cain and Abel were told to make sacrifices to God, and they were given specific instructions. Abel obeyed, gave the first fruits of what he had. Cain didn't. God rebuked him over his sacrifice, and instead of repenting and obeying, Cain got jealous and killed his brother. Then he goes to the example of Balaam. Balaam is not as well known to us, but Balaam was a magician or a false prophet in the Old Testament. We actually went over this in our teen Sunday school class today. The story of Balaam. But, if you remember the story of Balaam, the king of Moab, Balak, tried to recruit Balaam to come and curse the people of God. Because they were about to fight. And originally, Balaam goes because he knows he's going to get paid well. That's what Balaam's motive was, was to chase after money. And if you remember, Balaam's donkey actually stops in the road because he sees the angel of the Lord. And Balaam begins to beat his donkey because he won't go. Then Balaam's donkey turns around and speaks to him. And eventually Balaam sees the angel of the Lord and doesn't continue with what he's doing. But then we see in the next chapter that Balaam does go eventually. And instead of pronouncing judgment and cursing God's people, God sovereignly speaks through Balaam and blesses the nation of Israel. But we see Jude uses this example because he says they've abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, which is what Balaam did. Balaam's concern was money. That's what these false teachers are doing. They're preaching for the money. That was their motivation. And then the third example we see is Korah. It says they perish in Korah's rebellion. If you remember, Korah was a priest while the nation of Israel was wandering in the desert. And he didn't like Moses and Aaron. And he stirred up a rebellion to try to overthrow them. And God opened up the earth and swallowed Korah and his followers into the earth. And he's saying that's what's going to happen to these false teachers. They will suffer the same end that Korah and his followers did. And again, There's a lot of different things that come into mind when we read through these verses and think about all these different examples, but remember what the point is. Jude is showing what type of men these false teachers are. He brings up the villains of the Old Testament and says that's what you're dealing with here. That's what these false teachers are. And then... Verses 12 and 13, he just starts to list these different examples that they can compare these false teachers to. Verse 12, he says, "...there are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees late in autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting casting up the foam of their shame, wandering stars... For whom gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So here you see, he's now not only just using Old Testament examples; he's using examples from nature to explain who these people are and what they're like. He calls them hidden reefs. You think about what a reef is. It is something. It's a. It's like a, a rock hidden under the. Uh, Oceans surface so that boats can't see them. And they're dangerous. Because they can sink a ship. And the ship never knew it was coming. That's what these people are like. They're hiding in this congregation. And they're just as dangerous as a reef is to a ship. It says that they are hidden in their love feasts. And during these love feasts in the early church, Christians would share a meal together. And it probably was consummated by the celebration of the Lord's Supper like we do with communion. And Jude warned his readers that not all was what it seemed, but some of those who were taking part in their love feasts were dangerous hypocrites. They were pretending to be full of love, but their dangerous teaching and lifestyle was were, was really threatening the church. This congregation didn't even see what was coming. Like a hidden reef Next he says the false teachers are like shepherds who feed themselves. We see a reference that Judah is making to a prophecy in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 34, 2 and 3, it says, Thus says the Lord, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have you been, who have been feeding yourselves? Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep." And this prophecy goes on to condemn the shepherds of Israel, meaning the spiritual leaders who were supposed to be taking care of the sheep. They weren't taking care of the flock, they were taking care of themselves. They claimed that they had the ability to guide God's people, but they didn't have any concern for anybody. They only cared about themselves. They didn't exert any effort to care for God's flock, but they used their position of leadership to make sure they had a good life, and they took care of themselves. Next you see Jude use four illustrations from nature to describe what these people were like. He says they're like waterless clouds. You think about a farmer whose crops are dry and he sees the clouds billow up. He says, oh, it's going to rain. This is just what I need. And then the clouds blow over and no rain. That's what these people are like. They promise much, but they don't deliver anything. Then you see they're compared to fruitless trees Fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted. What good is a fruit tree that doesn't have any fruit? They're not good for anything. They're torn up and they're burned. He also calls, he says, they're like way, wild waves f- casting up the foam of their own shame. If you look out on rough water, how do you know where the waves are? It's where the whitecaps are, it's where the foam comes up. He's basically saying that these guys aren't even hiding what they're doing. It's obvious. If you look at their life, you can see what they're doing. Just like you can with waves. Then he calls them wandering stars. Back in that day, they would use the stars as navigation. Because the stars don't move. They're always in the same spot. So you want to go a certain direction, you look for a certain star. Well, he's saying these false teachers are like wandering stars. If you follow them, who knows where where you will end up. They're not consistent. They're unreliable to guide anybody. And then he closes by comparing their destination to those of the fallen angels. He says, "...for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." And that's exactly what he said about the fallen angels. "...they will not experience the light of day, but the darkness of God's wrath." And we should note the parallel again, to verse 6, where the same thing is happening to the angels. So, Jude has explained who these people are now to the, to this congregation. This is what they're dealing with. But what does that mean to us? We've got to remember the main point that Jude is getting across here. And number one, that it matters what we believe. Jude is a warning book. It is included in God's Word as a warning to believers. We need to listen to this warning. Just like Jews' readers, we need to be reminded of what we believe. We need to be reminded of the Gospel. We need to be reminded of our theology. And sometimes we think that, well, all these theological things that can be confusing... That's for the smart people, or that's for the pastor and the church leaders. They'll worry about that. Well, that's what this church was doing, and look where it was getting them. We need to be concerned about our own beliefs and why we believe them. False False teachers are a real danger. We need to know what we believe so that we can protect ourselves from false teachers and from bad theology. There will be consequences for believing the wrong things. That's why this is important. We saw that with Israel in the desert. They didn't believe, and they were destroyed for it. Punishment is also coming for those who don't believe God today. Now, there are different areas of theology where we can disagree on and still be Christians. The Gospel is not one of them. There are certain essential things that we have to get right now, things like the end times or the way we do church or different things, people do it differently, and it doesn't mean they're not saved. But it's important to know what you believe and why. And it's important to know what things are essential, what things you have to get right. Are you confident enough to make your own theological decisions? If not, what are you doing about it? Are you pursuing these things? Are you asking the right questions? Are you studying God's Word? What we believe matters and we need to take these things seriously. The next thing we see from the examples of these false teachers is that it matters how we live. Jude wasn't arguing over what they were teaching. Jude wasn't using that as his proof that they were false teachers. He was using the example of their lives. What they were doing. That's how they knew that they were false teachers. We saw all the reminders that he gave. The Israelites in the desert, the fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the consequences they faced. He compared them to Cain and Balaam and Korah. Jude uses these examples to show that their wickedness will not go unpunished. And that wickedness has no place among God's people. All these examples were the villains of the Old Testament they were they did not belong with God's people. just like these false teachers that live in sexual immorality and they pursue their own fleshly desires. they don't belong with God's people. How we live reveals what we believe that that's what happened with all these examples. the reason why they were sinning and living rebellious lives is because of what they believed. Judah's warning us to watch how we live because how we live matters. It matters to others when they see us. It matters to God. If God didn't care how we lived, why would He have written these things in the Bible? And again, it matters to our testimony. We represent God. So how we live is a representation of God. And how we respond to warnings like the book of Jude. It reveals what we believe. Do we believe God's Word is right and true? Well, Then we should respond to this and watch out for these things. What we believe matters and how we live matters. And we need to to remember that. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You for today. I thank You for Your Word from the book of Jude. And I thank You for this reminder to be watchful of the things that we do and what we believe. I just pray that You'll uh, help us to remember these things this week. Um, help us to be impacted by Your Word and not to just read it and forget it. And I pray that You'll bless each one of us as we go our separate ways today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.